Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure that's microsoft copilot learn more at microsoft.com slash ai for all what's going on everybody welcome to new york reunion with kevin Episode 61 of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. He and I are sitting here live. Well distanced. Live. Feeling good about it. I'm glad to be home. Phenomenal trip south this year. We got a lot accomplished with a great group of dogs. Um, but I'm glad to be home. I'm glad to be back to work up here. Minus a little bit of the cold weather. But it feels really good to be back. And it feels really good to be Hanging out with Kevin, ready to rock another podcast. So glad to be back, Kev. Yeah, we got some good uh, good things coming up. You got a big Friday too. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. We got a few things to talk about first, but then we can get into a little Friday fun Friday, fun Friday, baby. Hunter's happy hour with a bunch of nice guys. Um, Ron Bame, the Hunting Dog Podcast. Nick Larson from Project Upland. So I'm really excited, and there's a few other guys, and forgive me for drawing blanks right now, but don't for, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it next week, too, so I'll give them a shout-out then. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so that'll be Friday. We're doing the Hunter's Happy Hour. It's a live, I think it's on Facebook. I think they do Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, 
And so it'll be just a round table. People are going to be asking questions and a bunch of dudes drinking beer and talking dogs and hunting. So I'm excited about it. It's basically what we do every uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, no diggity, no doubt. Hunter's Happy Hour is a good, good name, though. I know. I'm jealous. Yeah, it's all right. So good. All right, let's get into a little bit of the sponsors. We're going to rip through them tonight. You know them. You love them. You can nuba. The food that fuels us. And we're building champions, and uke fuels them. So thank you to them. We got Dogtra. They've been new to the sponsorship, but not new to me. I've been using them for close to 10 years now. And love their customer service, love their products. We sell them on the Lone Duck Outfitters website. So if you're interested in learning more about them and checking them out, you can check them out at LoneDuckOutfitters.com. I suggest for your everyday guy or gal, the 1900S. Uh, The two-dog unit would be either the 1902S, but they also have this new unit called the 3500X. I have yet to use it. We got one downstairs. Oh, sweet. So Uncle Bob will be testing that bad boy out, but it's it's new. I'm excited to try it. For right now, I dig 1900S. I also use every single day the Edge RT, and that would be for your very serious amateur or professional dog trainer. Um, That'll hold up to three dogs. Next up, Gunner Kennels. What more can I say? Man's best kennel, baby. And these these are built like a truck. Did you see uh, on Instagram the other day, uh, Gunner reposted some guy. Uh, pardon me for not digging deeper into who he was, but he was doing like a little family activity, throwing kennels off the bed of his truck and having his kids videotape. And he threw in the old kennel that their dog had. And it exploded, and all he did was, you know, pick it up and heave it off the bed of the truck, and it literally exploded, and then he picked up his gunner kennel and launched it, and it just bounced. Not a scratch. Yeah. No, they are, they're the safest dog box. Um, We also can help you out with that, too, so shoot us a DM if you're interested. Speaking of Kevin, I need to get pricing on a large one for a friend of mine. I totally forgot, so write that down. Write that down, baby. All right, Hunter, my fault, bud. I'll get you the pricing tonight. <laughs> Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. The best Pell stove on the market, Traeger Grills. Big shout out to them and all their love for the outdoor industry and especially us dog lovers. They're big supporters of the dog community. So if you dig smoking that meat, check out a Traeger Grill. How good was that barbecue sauce tonight? Oh, dude. Real good. Like level 10. Yeah. I mean level 10. So smoke them if you got them, baby. Traeger Grills. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're a group of people that help us do the analytics as well as other influencers in the podcast world. So if you like tuning into the Lone D, check out their website and Instagram, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Baby, now let's get into the show. All right, so we are back in New York. It feels good to be back, as I was saying earlier. Um, I'm really proud of the young dogs that went home that graduated the four-month gun dog program. Man, we had some really good dogs. They, uh, The owners are happy. 
That's good. What's wrong with that? And they just they turned out nice, man. So I'm trying to think. Prince turned out real nice. He's a good looking dog. Chip. Let's let's highlight Chip for a second. So old Bring Chip. Me back. Old Chip, formerly known as Poncho, formerly known as Reese. He was a drug and bomb dog dropout. And basically they failed him out of the program because actually I think he was a bomb dog, not a drug dog. His attention span was lacking. So basically once he found one drug or bomb, he'd be like, all right, I got my ball. I'm done. And he wouldn't continue hunting. And if you are looking for a bomb, I mean, if you miss a drug here or there, I guess the world turns, right? But if you miss a bomb, someone's life is on the line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he failed the program because of like kind of ADD and just couldn't, couldn't keep it together. Sure. So uh, a lady friend of mine who's from Rochester bought him, and he was too much for her to handle. He he was a fence jumper. 100% that son of a pup would jump a fence. If you turned your back for one second, gone, gone, down the road. He'd go for the most hazardous location he could <laughs> and play in it. He'd be like, oh, oncoming traffic? Hey, Chip here. <laughs> Poncho, Reese, nobody hears my name. I yep. can't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. Shoot, man. So anyways, I I fixed the fence jumping. That wasn't fun for him or me. But Real we, quick, because I'm sure people are going to ask, how, is there, like, I advice? tied him up. So this was the advice. I don't ask somebody else. This is how I did it. I tied him to a 20-foot check cord and tied him to a fence pole, and I would leave him out there. And as soon as I would close that door, that sucker would jump the fence. If I'm out there, he'd hang. If I close the door behind me, he'd be like, probably do one of these and be like, see ya, jump the fence. But he was tied to the thing, and I would paddle his behind, and I'd grab him by the scruff, and I'd drag his butt back into the kennel, and then I'd praise him, or like the airing yard. And I'd praise him, and I'd make being in there with me a good thing, and then I would do it again and again and again. And after, like, the 10th time over a week or so where he, he would jump it, I mean, that sucker had a scar on his leg like six inches long from probably ramrodding some sort of fence. fence. So, you know, it's not only, you know, yeah, did he get scolded and did I correct him? Yes. Is it a lot nicer than getting hit by a car? Heck yeah. Yeah. So, is what it is. Chippy. So now, Uncle Bob gets chipped. He had never really retrieved anything. He like when you're doing drug work, they're cool with playing tug of war. They're building drive, building ball drive, retrieve drive, and and hunt. And I got him to pick up a duck. First thing he did, play tug of war. So we had to fix that, um, which was easy. I mean, super easy. It was basically like if he started to tug, a sharp no, and like give in to him not keep tugging, like kind of give in and say no, maybe bop him on the nose a little bit, real easy. Dude, in a day, he, he stopped doing that. He realized that it wasn't, like, you stop playing, and so why keep... Exactly. Gotcha. It, it was super easy to fix. And then once he found the love of ducks, he, he wouldn't quit, or it was less frequent. He wouldn't, like, give up on a hunt after a minute. And some days he was better than others, but... 
overall, that sucker turned out great. And he failed the program and was going to get sold by someone and probably end up with who knows where and maybe a new home and blah, blah, blah. And we turned him into a damn nice gun dog. Yeah, he's cool. And he's, yes, he is. He's, Do you think he's, he's like, in his final stage of chip? Oh, he yeah. evolved so, from... <laughs> Pancho Reese chip. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they sell him again, who knows? He'll have an identity crisis. Poor guy. But, no, he's a really good dog, so I'm real proud of him. Um, who else? Tux. Tux is a friend of mine's dog from Charleston. And, really, I only had Tux for, like, two and a half months. And we got him. He was the quintessential dog. Didn't like to swim. Didn't really like to retrieve. Would give up on a hunt. Very low drive. Um, and we turned it on. Live. What, what kind of dog is Tux? He was a black lab, English, big okay. blocky, thick, you know, dog. Yeah. And um, we brought the drive out. I was very easy on him. Like on a, my Edge RT. It goes uh, one to eight, low, medium, and high. So one low, medium, one high. Two low, two medium, two high. He worked on a one medium. If you got him any higher than a one medium, he'd be, like, freaked out. So you just had to be gentle with him, keep that momentum, have him have fun. And that sucker was doing 150, 200-yard marks, swimming hard, chasing ducks and diving for ducks. No way. Yeah, he turned out great and in a... It's a four-month program, everybody. This was a special situation where Tux got special treatment, if you will, and it ended up like he wasn't fully steady. He wasn't fully this. He wasn't fully that. But from being a couch potato and didn't know he had a job to do to going home two and a half months later, he was through force wedge, collar conditioning, wicked obedient, and can continue training with his owner who knows what they're doing to finish him off and get ready to hunt. So I'm very proud of him. Prince turned out great. He was very vocal. He was stubborn. He was all sorts of things. And we really, the last month I had him, it was like the icing on the cake. Everything, all the pieces fell into place, and, and he turned it on too. And there's there's several others, but proud of the young dog crew that finished our program and went home. And then a bunch of other dogs like Amber, Hunter, um, those guys went home for a two-week vacation. Well, Go home, little furlough. I think we all people are furloughing it and COVID in it, so they're on their vacation right now and chilling, and they'll be back. So, you know, overall, it's great to be home, and I'm fired up to be back here with Kevin and yeah. enjoying a little in-person podcast. And I hope the audio is better and everybody can appreciate that. Um, let's get into the show. Let's do some Q and A, buddy. Pick your first question. Let's rock. Yeah, we had, uh, where are you? Somebody said they're drinking moonshine light. Moonshine light? Yeah, I think that kidding. sounds gross. Uh, Mumpy Bird Dog. Hilarious name. Uh, I have a two-year-old, and when he was a puppy, the owners would throw the ball, and before he'd get it, their German Shepherd would growl and grab it from him. Now he's got the dog, and he wants him to... Uh, pick up bumpers and ducks and all that good stuff. Uh, would you say that force fetch is a definite in his future? Uh, unreal prey drive on birds. But doesn't like balls and bumpers? Guess so. And it's because another dog would run up to him and steal it. 
That's what I gathered, but that's what if I'm you gathering. Wanna... No, he's fine. Um, we don't need more clarification. Okay. All right. Unreal on birds means he has hope. So I got this question not too long ago on uh, like a somebody direct messaged me. And um, my answer is everything in life is about balance. So if you do too many bumpers, then some dogs will struggle with ducks. If you do too many ducks and pigeons and live birds, then it's way less fun than a bumper. So you have to kind of balance this, balance like the training, right? So not every day in my training program do we do ducks. Not every day do we do bumpers. I bet it's literally 50-50. I mean, if we're doing water work, I'm not throwing ducks because they get ruined. Yeah. Um, if we're doing, like sometimes I like to throw plastic or bumpers because they're harder to smell. So that dog has to be more precise on their marks. Um, that makes sense. If the dog has a problem because it's associated retrieving bumpers and balls and associating the negative because that dog would go up and steal the ball, A, I would train him alone. So I, I want to get that out of the way. Maybe he's still got another dog around um, trying to do two things at once. I would have it just be me and that dog, very little distraction, backyard, um, very little distraction, whatever it is. Build that ball drive. Maybe put your couple bumpers in a Ziploc bag with feathers and duck wings and a soggy, nasty duck and, and let it marinate in there. Maybe tape a wing to the bumper. All that stuff to try and make the bumpers increase their value to the dog. Um, also, remember, two to three retrieves. So even though this dog's two years old, limit the amount of retrieves so that you're building drive. Um, is force fetch in its future? I would. I mean, it, it's all your goals. If you don't care that the dog drops the bird at your feet, I don't care either. But if you're going to constantly be like, man, I wish he would hold on to it until I take it, right. then yes, force fetch is the answer. Uh, I had another good one. <clears throat> Seawood88 asked, uh, how do you get a dog to stop holding a bumper like a cigar? Yeah. So what he means by that is like a dog who will hold it by the end or maybe you know some dogs will grab by the rope um how do you fix it first you dog delivers to hear heal and sit so it, let's assume you've done force fetch properly and the dog still has a sloppy hold and does a cigar hold one you can just be ultra consistent every single time that dog comes back you can readjust the bumper in the dog's mouth and have it hold right, pop him a little bit under the jaw and say, hold, good job, take it. Or you can try and swat it out of the dog's mouth and knock it on the ground and then give a light pressure and say, fetch. And so now the dog's going to clamor and grab onto it. I tend to not give a crap. If it's a problem and they fumble the bumper on the way back to me, if they're screwing around, if it's a way to be lazy, I will address that. But if some, like, I just don't create more, you can create more problems by trying to fix a little tiny thing by being, every time you come back, you swat it out of his mouth. Every time you come back, you're readjusting it. Now he's going to have a sloppy heel because he's assuming you're going to make him do something different. 
fight battles pick like what is a major problem and what are minor problems um to me cigar holding is a minor problem and as long as they're not being a jerk dropping the bumper readjusting the bumper eight times coming back from a retrieve blah 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 i don't have a problem with a cigar hold that's just me uh that's a that's a good one i think that's interesting uh wesley was wondering how to get a beard like yours um that's my friend from georgia yeah well, let me let me get a zoom in on this it's luscious it's got different shades of brown and reds and tans it's not so good on this side not so great on this side but underneath she's thick she's thick <laughs> lay off me wesley uh, Evan Emerson was wondering when you would introduce an e-collar after a pinch collar. So All right. f- first, can you explain what a pinch collar is for people? I mean, I don't know what he means. There's different types. Uh, being serious, Kevin gave right. me the Well, look. yeah, but I... So he could mean like a prong collar. He could mean a choke chain. Those are the two things I would think he's talking about. Um... When I introduce an e-collar, the dog understands the tasks I'm asking it. So I teach here with treats as a baby. Zero to six months, I'm using treats. I'm shaping behavior. I'm teaching the dog. At six months, I start asking. I see Kevin smiling. I don't know. I'm just reading. Okay. Okay. People making fun of my beard. I'll get real angry real quick. No, someone wants to know when you're having another litter of black labs. Ethan oh. Hodges. Thanks, Ethan. Hopefully this summer. Um. Anyways, back to the original e-collar situation. So when the dog understands the command, so they're sitting nicely. They're walking decently on a leash. They're coming when they're called decently. I've already taught these behaviors, and now I'm fine-tuning them and teaching, overlaying that with e-collar. So I'm not just slapping an e-collar on and go right to work with it. I've already taught commands, and now I'm overlaying the e-collar. So depends on the dog. Most of the dogs are six months old, and they already have an understanding of what I've taught them. So, Yeah, that makes sense. Blake Edward Allen was uh, writing in and asked when to know to move on uh, from one to the no- one to the next. Examples being T work to double T to reverse T. All right. When to move on? Me and the pterodactyl, Ka-kow! Blaine Tarnecki, on Instagram at Boykin Guy. So when you're done watching this, check out. The Boykin guy. I think it's the Boykin guy. We talked about this at length previously on like the last five episodes he was on with us. I mean, there's been one or two in the last you know month that he hasn't been on. But we walked through these processes very smoothly from tea pattern to swim by to de-cheating. Like this whole thing he's asking is, is in-depth and I get it. I'm going to breeze through it because I would like you to go back sir and listen to those episodes i don't do double t and it depends on the dog whether i do like a reverse t so t pattern 
They go to a back pile. They stop on a whistle. They cast right, left, right back, left back. Reverse tee would be they go to the back pile. They get a bumper. And as they're coming back, I can stop them and handle them to all the piles while they're holding the bumper. Um, double T, you just add an extra pile on either, either overs, okay? So there'd be a straight back pile, over piles at first and third base, and then another first and third base, if you will. I don't know. It's hard to describe, I guess, but I don't do it. I think it's redundant. If the dog stops on a whistle and goes where I tell it to go, why am I beating a dead horse? So I start doing other things, pattern blinds, white pole blinds, um, you know, cold blinds to some degree. Uh, like, I just don't do uh, double T. That's me. Um, and a lot of my buddies, actually. We, we just don't do it. Um, and I think reverse T is good, but I don't do it very long for T pattern to answer his question, like moving on. Yeah. Blaine and I had this discussion of amateurs do it when the, till the dog gets it right. Pros do it until the dog does it perfect. Something like that. Do you remember? Yeah. You're paraphrasing, but it's, it's that they, they do it till they get it right. And then a, a pro is going to do it until they can't get it wrong. Oh, look at Kevin listened. Well, sometimes. Yeah, can't get it wrong. So I'm going to make that dog. Now, there are certain times. Again, this is this is a, a rarity. But if a dog's having trouble with a certain thing, sometimes it's good to move on. Because they or go to a new location and take the pressure and the stress of the one location. And now this new location doesn't have those. And you can kind of... Start fresh, and the dog's doing better, and all that jazz. But in essence, we want to do it till the dog doesn't do it wrong. They go, they drive hard to the back pile. They stop quickly. They handle when where I tell them to handle. And when they do that, I move on. And sometimes I go backwards if I realize it's not done properly. I'll go backwards. So I just that's the answer for T pattern. I don't do double T, and reverse T is infrequent. Depends on the dog. Uh, slug 22, great name was wondering what you look for in a trainer. Like, is there anything that you, uh, I mean, we, we feel like we know people all around the country now and kind of in the industry and, um, you know, not going to say anything negative about anybody, but like, are there things that if you were to give somebody advice and said, go find a trainer that'll do X, Y, and Z. And if you want, yeah. maybe something to not look for. Yeah. Absolutely. When, first of all, before I was a pro dog trainer, I got this question all the time, and this is how I would respond. Now that I am a professional dog trainer, I ask them where they are <laughs> and be like, huh, maybe you're close enough and would want to send your dog to me. But that doesn't happen when you got to, like, I had a guy in California call me. I hooked him up with a friend of mine in California slash Washington. Um... You know, someone calls me and they're from Florida. I hook them up with Blaine. Um, there, but there are. Here's what I tell them: Go train with the guy or girl. Do they have a clean facility? Are their dogs healthy looking? Do the dogs look happy when they get off the truck? 
if they have 20 dogs on the truck and one or two look sad and crappy, it's probably those dogs. If 18 out of the 20 look sad and crappy training, it's probably the trainer. So I want to look for healthy animals, clean place, and dogs that are happy to work. Can you describe a dog that uh, that you would want to have jump off the truck then? I, I want them happy. I want them. I don't want them covered in poop or mud. Yeah. Or or be skin and bones. Um. Again, if one out of twenty of those dogs is skin and bones, it's probably that dog. High metabolism, anxious. Um. They might pace the kennel all night long and burn thousands of calories and that pro's probably socking the food to him i mean i got one dog on my truck i feed eight cups of yukonuba a day if dr spoo heard i did that he'd be like you're crazy because <laughs> that's a shitload of food right but that's what keeps her weight normal and she's still on the thin side people will still say boy she's kind of skinny dude she eats so much <laughs> yeah i mean ridiculous yeah so but she just is constantly wired and constantly moving and constantly a little bit anxious. And so she's burning energy probably even when she's sleeping, right? So I, I, w I don't want skinny dogs. I don't want dogs covered in crap and mud and nastiness. I don't want them living in nastiness. And if you go to their facility and the kennel runs are covered in crap, I wouldn't want my dog going there. No, I don't want it either, dude. Yeah. Um, and then if you watch, if you hang out all day, nobody can fake it for eight hours. You're going to start to see them. Like, they might be happy-go-lucky for a minute. But then as the day goes on, like, they might lose their patience more often. They might be harder. Like, you will see true colors come by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So my my suggestion. Go train with them. Watch the dogs work. Watch how they treat the dogs. Make sure they're clean and healthy and good. After that, also make sure they've got some credibility. Make sure that they've competed. Now, there are some of my friends that don't compete in hunt tests anymore. They did it in the back in the day. Now they just do gun dogs, and they stay at home on weekends, and they don't travel, and they train really nice dogs. But they don't compete. So that would be like, like that. that's not a precursor that the pro has to run hunt tests and be successful in hunt tests. But they probably should be able to, to train a high-level dog and not do it just once with their personal dog. Yeah, but I think it, it adds, like, proof in the pudding, you know. So it's, it's it easier does. when you I'm, can show. These are all generalizations, and I'm just saying that the guy who's trained one dog – and he's now taking money from people because he's trained one good dog. Man, he hasn't had the dog that bit him. He hasn't had the dog that, you know, I'm thinking of one right now that I put her through force fetch. When you say fetch, she knows what you're asking, but she won't do it. Now what? If this was the first time I've ever ran into this problem, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I've had it happen maybe three or four times now in my career where they just they quit. And you have to figure out and build them back up. And, and in the last four days, she's rocking and rolling again. And it's like, you got to have life experience. Now, how do you get life experience? You know, I worked for somebody for a year. 
And then, and I trained a ton of dogs with them and I traveled for five years training with the best pros in the country weeks at a time, like before I went and worked for that guy. So, and I'm not even the best around, right? Like that's me being honest with people. I'm not the best. I could point you to the best. If you want the number one, two, three, four, five guys in the country, I will call them right now and give you their number. But I also know that there are guys who've done four dogs and are taking money from people and they they will care for your dog and they will try hard. But when you when your dog doesn't fit the mold and they don't know what to do, you want someone who has experience too. So off my soapbox and rant, but I think no, those I mean, are the things I'd look at. Yeah. No, I mean, people ask. So there you go. Uh, <clears throat> oh, that's a good one. Panhandle Waterfowler was wondering, uh, can you explain secondary selection and how it benefits a dog? All right. Secondary selection. Let's say we shoot a double. I shoot one. Kevin cripples the other. (laughs) Standard situation. Okay. Actually, most of the time, it just would be me killing one and Kevin's flying away. Unharmed. Zero feathers cut. But let's say he clipped this one. But I scared him. You scared him enough he that knew. he's going to fall out of the sky. Yeah, he knew. Well, mine's, gone. mine's dead in the decoys. Kevin sails off. Now, in our training program, we always send the dog, always, no such thing as always, but almost always, we send the dog to the last bird down. So bird one goes, lands. Bird two goes, lands, send the dog. Secondary selection would be bird one goes down, bird two goes down, know them from that one, and go pick up bird one and come back and pick up bird two. It's not super common. It's not something I do all the time. If, like, I don't even do it monthly. I do more things like poison birds where you know them off a mark and run a blind. Um, But having that control over a dog where you're able to pick which mark they want or run a blind and say, I know that you see this one, but this one's swimming away in the decoys and he's getting away. I need you to leave this one alone and go for this one is important. So that's that. Uh, Harrison was wondering when you're training a dog to mainly hunt uh, for, for mainly hunt tests uh, and duck hunting and stuff. How long of the marks and blinds are you running? General rule of thumb is if they can pick up a 200-yard mark, then a 40-yard mark's easier, right? So I always will challenge the dog, push the dog further than what they're going to see in real life. You know, the idea of I can hand throw a bumper 40 yards or you have one of those hand shooters that sends the bumper 60 yards, if that's all the dog gets its whole life, when that bird sails at 100 That dog's going to run out to 60 yards and say, it can't be further. It hits a wall. Uh, To a dog, it almost would be a physical wall where once they hit that threshold, that's it. I'm going to start hunting right here, and they'll stay there, and then they will never find the dog. So for, you know, each, each level of the hunt test has different, um, distances, so junior, it's X, senior, it's Y, master, it's Z. 
and I will train beyond that capability. So when my dogs get to these events, they do well because they're comfortable going far and short. And um, for a hunting dog, I think that's just as good, right? Like, yeah. actually, for some of the like the gun dogs that go home, I will teach them how to mark very far. And then towards the end of their stay, I will do two days a week far and the rest real short because those short are equally as hard because they're going to entice the dog to break. And that's what you're going to see in a hunt, you know, hunting scenario. I need that dog steady and a 20 yard mark is more liable to be broken. You know, dog's going to break on that easier and be more fired up about a 20 yarder than a 120 yarder, but they need to be capable of both. So, uh, we have a good segue, but first I want to clear the air. Uh, Justin was saying that he keeps calling Master National, Master Stational, as a thanks to Bob, but I think we all know that that was my idea because Bob couldn't come up with something that clever. So just to kind of like clear the air, I think, you know, that's where we're at. But Master Stational. Uh, I can't wait to go back. I, yeah, it'll be good. Wyatt. <clears throat> uh, Wyatt had a really good question here. Speaking of steadiness and working close birds here, uh, can you describe a good way to focus your dog if he wants to chase birds that are close by that are flying by like how do you focus your dog at the line read it again that doesn't make sense at the line they're not at the line if you're sitting there and you've got your dog next to you and you're hunting and it's looking at birds going everywhere but there are birds in the decoys like how do you steady your dog when there's a lot of distraction going around practice i mean i don't know dude <laughs> there's Shit. nothing you train do. it yeah. i mean yeah there's nothing you can do other than train it have good obedience and and as you train that dog you're going to increase difficulty you're going to increase distraction you're going to challenge that dog in all new places and situations it's just training i mean what I originally thought you said is like, how do you get a dog to comply when maybe he flushes a pheasant and you miss it? Like, that's how I took it for a second, but I don't know if that's what he meant, but like have a really good recall, the hear command, no bird here, you know, and use your e-collar, collar condition properly and fairly. Um, so if your dog bumps a bird and it flies off and you don't get a shot or you shoot and miss, He's not running 200 yards after a rooster that's flying away. You can say, no bird here, and they're probably going to run for another 10 yards. No bird here. You're going to nick, run for another 20 yards. No bird here, and then he's going to come back. But my point is have a strong recall, strong obedience, practice, train. Listen to a podcast called Lone Dogs Gone Dog Chronicles weekly. What's up? Uh, had another going come in. Uh, Lunt, Lunt B., Said, big fan of the podcast. Appreciate that very much. Uh, do you have any advice on maintaining a training program if he or she, I can't see because it's a small picture, is only able to hunt five to eight times a year? So how do you manage a training program for a dog that is kind of just a weekend warrior? Training program, man. Get out and do it. Get out. Yeah. I don't know. Great question. Fair question. And probably you are the more average person yeah. who doesn't get to hunt Wednesday mornings, Thursday mornings, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, Monday morning because you took the morning off because you got a cold, quotes, cold, right? Like you're not the I hunt 60 days a year guy. 
or girl. Um, you are the, I get out when I can. I got kids. You know, I love to hunt, and I love to hunt with my dog, but we only get out a few times. Um, how do I maintain that? Do the best you can, man. Well, we talk sometimes a lot about, like, hunt tests. It's a good way to extend the season and continue working. Yeah, but that's not training programs. I would say anybody who listens to this and anybody who likes to hunt with their dog, hunt tests are a great way to have fun on the weekends and, and keep that hunting season rolling. But the the main things, and we've said it before, keep them in shape. Don't let them get fat. Don't just throw hand-thrown marks in your backyard, in a fenced-in backyard in the subdivision. Go somewhere and bring your kid, bring your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your duck hunting buddy, and at least, at least once a week, take that dog out, maintain steadiness, do marks, save or buy birds, pigeons, chucker, pheasant, duck, get a couple birds, stow them away in your freezer and use those throughout the year mix them in with dokens mix them in with atbs mix them in with bumpers mix them in with ducks but at least at least one day a week get out and throw marks and if you don't care about running blinds definitely just throw marks if you like running blinds you know shoot run two blinds run two marks that's 15 minutes enough said i mean just keep it but the main thing i would say is just don't let them get fat because that'll kill them in the long run. Yeah. And then just do a little bit. You know, if you're not trying to get a master hunter, and you just want a dog that's going to sit next to you those five times, steadiness, and do marks at least one day a week for 52 weeks. Yeah. I mean, that ain't bad. Our uh, our good buddy Jared from Best Gun Dogs said, couldn't agree more. Uh, there's no shortcuts to obedience. It's hard work. You got to train, train, train. He's right. My man, appreciate it. Hope you're doing good, buddy. I know. It's been a I while. Miss you. We got to get you on. Get with get with us. Shoot us a DM and look at your calendar for May. Let's get on the calendar, bud. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> Joe Rogers. Here's a good one. And I think we've talked about this before. We got a couple more. One more question. Yeah. Last one uh, from Joe Rogers. Give me the pros and cons of a one-sided dog versus, like, a dual-sided dog. All right, so what he means by this is healing on both sides or one side. So most guys or girls are right-handed, so when you shoot a shotgun, your shells are ejecting out the side, the right side. So we put our dogs on the left side, so the shells are ejecting this way. That's the pretty much original reason why we heal them on the left. In field trials... Hunt test too. But in field trials, a lot of people started getting tricky to try and win by dual-sided. So my dog will heal on the left and the right. And so there's a long 400-yard mark out there and a white coat. If I put my dog on the right side, it's telling that dog to stay to the right of that gun. If I put the dog on my left side, it's telling my dog to stay on the left side of the gun. Or maybe if I put him on the right side, he's going to take more water versus being on the left side. I don't do this. I did it with Memphis years ago. I did it with Buck years ago. I stopped. If that dog marked the bird and you hold that dog to a standard of of taking a good line and hanging on to 
and driving through those factors of slanted hills and water. And if you teach them to hold a line and mark a bird, then it doesn't matter if they're on the right or left. And in the Lardy Farmer Symposium 1 DVD, they had that debate. And both of them still kind of teach double-sided healing, but err on the side of if your dog marked that bird, go to where you saw that bird fall and dig it out and find it. And it's so for me, it's like one more thing to teach a dog. I don't run field trials ever. I mean, I ran one with Memph and one Super Retriever Series. Not once would she have been better from shitting the bed at both of those <laughs> if she double-sided healed. You mark the bird, you mark the bird. So, take it as it take it take it as you feel, brother. Um. Anyways, guys, cheers. Episode 61, tune in, subscribe, tell a friend, share it, all that good stuff. If you love it, five-star it. If you didn't, come back next week and Kevin will try harder. Um, More great guests coming up. Going to be a good summer. Let's hope for the best. Everybody stay safe out there. Thank you to all the sponsors. Check out LoneDuckOutfitters.com. We've got some new gear, more new gear coming. Catch you later. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join Patreon.com forward slash LoneDuckOutfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs, and have a great time. But jump into Patreon.com forward slash LoneDuckOutfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.